We have brand new news coming from the NCAA today, which has decided to release a 31-page set of recommendations concerning giving college athletes the right to exploit their names, images, and likenesses for commercial gain. This has been an issue that I have followed for a long time, have advocated for for a long time. As a player advocate, I have thought that athletes deserve these rights to make money off of their names, images, and likenesses like every other individual on campus can do. And finally, it seems like the NCAA is coming around to it. Or are they? I'm joined today by Mark Edelman, a good friend of mine, college professor, former lawyer, still doing some law on the side, does a lot of expert work. He is the man. Here's our interview. Well, we're with Mark Edelman today. I've known Mark for a really long time. He is, uh, well, was a lawyer in big law, converted his practice into being a professor of sports law, both at the law school level and in business school, where he currently teaches at Baruch in New York. And I've long respected Mark. I mean, he's, uh, he's been a mentor of mine um, as I've been trying to grow my own practice, my notoriety in the sports world. Somebody who is extremely intelligent, well-spoken, and really knows his stuff. I mean, when you need somebody to talk about fantasy sports or sports gambling, copyrights, trademarks, anything in intellectual property, and especially the topic that we're going to be talking about today, name, image, and likeness. I mean, I, Mark's one of the first names that pops up into my mind. So, Mark, thanks for joining. Uh, for anybody who's listening or watching. Well, Darren, thanks for having me. I feel like it's been 10 years uh, since we first met when you were a student at Florida Law School and ran this great symposium. Uh, and from my end, it's been a lot of fun to watch uh, your career take off from being a law student to being someone who is working in a firm to really running your own practice and doing an incredible job with everybody. Well, thank you. That's right. We met 10 years ago or maybe 11 or 12 when I was on campus at University of Florida, 11 College of Law, and you were kind enough to fly down and speak at our sports law symposium. I still think it was one of the best ones in terms of the lineup. So you've, I'm sure you've been keeping track of what's going on today. We've had the NCAA decide that it's going to propose recommendations, 31 pages of which, I don't know if you had the opportunity to come through it all because I know you've been teaching today, uh, but you know, there's a lot of recommendations in there. If you've had the chance to take a look, what, what's your overall impression? Uh, well, first, full disclosure, I have not read the full 31 pages. Uh, second, to be frank, uh, there shouldn't have had to have been 31 pages. Uh, to go back and give a quick story, uh, which I think will illustrate the point, you know, back in January, uh, and I was finishing up my term as a faculty athletic rep uh, for Baruch College, I went to the faculty uh, athletic conference, uh, which was held in Washington. And at the conference, I sat down, uh, and I was sitting next to someone who was a dean of a business school uh, and also a faculty athletic representative. And the question came up, what would we like to see change? And my response was, the NCAA needs to get off this preventing college athletes from controlling their name, image, and likeness. Uh, it's immoral and possibly a violation of antitrust law. And the dean who was sitting next to me of this small, of this small business school stopped me and said, 
you don't understand. It's a very complicated issue. And I let her spend 10 minutes explaining to me why it was so complicated and I didn't know what I was talking about uh, before I went through what my own personal background was. Looking back, we were both right. I was right that it was incredibly simple. She was right it was incredibly complicated. I was right that it was incredibly simple because the NCAA's restraint on college athletes from licensing the name, image, and likeness probably violates antitrust law, will by 2023 violate um, California state law, Darren, based on all of your great work, probably will soon violate Florida law. And all they had to do was say that licensing your name, image, and likeness uh, would not be seen as pay for play, and it would have been resolved. Now, this dean was correct, too. It was very complicated. It was very complicated because the NCAA chose to make it very complicated. And they took something that could have been changed with one sentence of their bylaws and turned it into 31 pages. We know that when the NCAA doesn't want to do something, they take something simple and they make it complicated. What's your take on, and I don't know, again, you haven't necessarily combed through the whole thing, but the, the NCAA is not only proposing these recommendations for name, image, and likeness, but also talking about uh, engaging Congress in an effort to um, ensure federal preemption over state name, image, and likeness laws but also establish an antitrust exemption for the NCAA. This probably goes over the head of a lot of people who are reading through these 31 pages. What do you make of that? Absolutely. And first, the NCAA are public relations uh, geniuses. Uh, they spin things about as well as our federal leadership does right now. Uh, and they're doing this great job getting this message out as if they're pushing for reform. The reality is, the reforms that the NCAA claims they're voluntarily making are things that they have to probably do as a matter of law and as a matter of PR. They're doing the least that they can. And now that they're trying to use Congress to get themselves this broad antitrust exemption. Now, uh, this is not the first talk of giving very certain limited rights to college athletes and then seeking an exemption from antitrust law for everything else. Uh, this is not the first industry to go after an antitrust and since the passage of the Sherman Act in 1890, just about every big business or every big trade association that's colluded has told the courts that they're special and then have sought an antitrust exemption from Congress. Big railroads have done it. Big gasoline has done it. Trade associations have claimed to be different. Uh, baseball has argued to be different. Baseball was the only one that's got it. Everybody else has been rejected. Right. There was a law review article written a few years ago uh, by two professors who I like very much as people. Uh, Professor Matthew Mitten, who teaches over at Marquette Law School, uh, and Professor Stephen Ross, who teaches at Penn State Law School. And in their Oregon Law Review article, they argued that perhaps we should have a narrow antitrust exemption for the NCAA or for certain rules that concernedly are preventing the paying of college athletes by member colleges uh, as long as the athletes can make money from their own name and likeness. And this was the Ross and Mitten position. Uh, I wrote a response to that article uh, in Washington Lee Law Review, uh, and my outcome was that is not a good idea. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are several reasons why I don't think the NCAA should get an antitrust exemption. Uh, first and most simply, uh, an administrative body to oversee the NCAA uh, is not going to work, or at least not the same way that we oversee the insurance industry with Webb Pomerine instead of antitrust. 
because so many states have big public schools and based on the pure lobbying power of the NCAA, uh, if you move away from a court antitrust system and into a regulatory body, uh, the NCAA will have be able to exert very strong power over that body and the college athletes will not fairly be represented. In fact, we already see the NCAA lobbying and running the Congress in just that way. Uh, second, while there are a very limited number of industries that have antitrust exemptions, uh, leaving aside the bizarre example of Major League Baseball and the limited antitrust exemption that comes out of an anomaly, uh, most of these other industries were already very heavily regulated uh, based on separate codes. And over the past hundred years, there's been an effort to reduce rather than increase the number of industries that have had this narrow antitrust exemption. Uh, the Sherman Act was not passed to regulate certain types of business. It was not created only to affect manufacturing business. Uh, the Sherman Act was meant to go after the biggest business and the biggest organizations in the United States that were able to use lobbying power and concerted behavior to restrain trade. And if we looked at the late 1800s, early 1900s, the biggest businesses and the biggest and the biggest lobbyists were railroads and gasoline and banks. You want to look at 2020. I don't think there is a bigger lobbying effort and a bigger concerted group. Well, let's take it. Uh, we have the National Rifle Association, which is a consortium of gun sellers who work together, have been able to exert incredible influence. And we have the National Collegiate Athletic Association. And I'm not saying the NCAA is the NLR, NRA in their mission but they exert incredible control, they act concertedly, and these are exactly the type of organizations that should be subject to antitrust law, not exempt from it. Do you think that actually taking these recommendations, putting them into legislation and actually passing it by the NCAA and making it effective will be contingent on the NCAA getting some of these things that it's asking for from Congress, including the antitrust exemption and even it's asked for a safeguard uh, with regard to non-employment status of college athletes. I don't even necessarily know that's a place that federal Congress should be, but do you think that these are going to be uh, requirements for the NCAA to even move forward with their recommendations, turning it into legislation? Well, first, the NCAA is so funny because they move in opposite directions at once. Uh, here you suggested that the NCAA wants federal regulation to prevent the athletes from being treated as employees, which would fundamentally prevent them from unionizing. Right. Uh, earlier today, Nicole Ackerman, who I think is, I'm sorry, Nicole Auerbach, who I think is a terrific writer, um, had a quote from Valerie Ackerman, uh, who is a conference commissioner. And the question that Nicole asked of Valerie Ackerman was, um, do you think we'll be able to get group licensing for video games? And Valerie Ackerman said, no, we can't do it because we don't have a unionized body representing the athletes. Now, here's where we're conflicting entirely. <laughs> the NCAA pushed for what would prevent the unionization of athletes. They're saying we can't do it because this isn't out there, but they're fighting against it. But, so, but isn't that also nonsense anyway? I mean, it seems as though the NCAA is basically saying, here are our recommendations, and we're going to control the entire process. If their position is that there can't be group licensing because there's no unionization, you already have the NFL Players Association that's come out and said, we'll take it upon ourselves to organize the players and, and, and allow for these group rights. I mean, if you ask any consumer, they don't necessarily care so much about the players' rights. They want NCAA football, the video game back. So 
is it a lot of bluster that the NCAA is saying we can't do group licensing under this scheme? Absolutely. First, um, if they were unionized, you would very easily create that arm, uh, much like we see with the NFLPA and the NBPA with players. Uh, second, even short of licensing, even short of creating a union, if you think about it, the licensing arms that exist uh, in professional sport are not the union body per se. The union body creates them, but they're separate entities. The union has the bargaining right over hours, wages, and working conditions. Group licensing is separate. Uh, so there is nothing to create a separate group licensing arm. In fact, if there is anything to create that would prevent the creation of a separate group licensing arm uh, for college athletes outside of the union scope would be a very interesting antitrust question if it's outside the scope of a union, whether all the athletes could get together. But then again, that's loose because the good old NCAA is asking for an antitrust exemption. Right. Put that in their request too. So... Another issue, and I know you've looked at this for as long as I can remember, is athlete agents. And as we both know, there is a federal act. It's never really been used. The Federal Trade Commission is tasked with enforcing those laws. Again, I can't cite to a single instance where the FTC has gotten involved in the regulation of athlete agents. But there are over 40 states that currently have these laws on the books. And to varying extents, some states actually do enforce those laws, particularly those states in the Southeast region of the United States. Now we've got the NCAA who's come in and said, we respect that college athletes need representation in procuring and negotiating these deals, but we want to regulate the athlete agent profession. What are your thoughts on that? Two thoughts. Uh, first, uh, the Uniform Athlete Agent Act, the UAAA, um, which uh, the Uniform Law Commission proposed and passed in the majority of states, and Darren, I know you've written about this too, uh, has been a source of NCAA overreaching uh, for more than two decades. Now, what most people don't know is the Uniform Law Institute didn't simply say we want to get involved in that area. Um, Sandy D'Albrame, who was the president of Florida State University at the time uh, reached out to the Uniform Law Institute and wanted to have something passed to give schools the ability to take action against athletes that hired agents. Uh, so believe it or not, it doesn't protect the athlete from unscrupulous agents. It protects the school and allows the school to sue the athlete. Now, also serving uh, on that committee uh, was uh, president Perlman, the president of University of Nebraska at the time. So the very committee that passed the Uniform Athlete Agent Act had representatives as a president and chancellor from the NCAA member school when it was put in place. Uh, and that's continued to be the case. And even today, where there's some talk about having the Uniform Law Institute pass something uh, to try to propose model law uh, for fair pay to play, there seems to be at least arguably an infiltration of the NCAA leading that cause as well. Now, as far as the other issue that you referenced, so the NCAA, after all these years that said athletes can't have agents, all of a sudden said that basketball players that are thinking about going pro can have agents, but they can only do very limited things and we can regulate them. Right. And uh, last night, Professor Richard Karcher and I released an article we have coming out uh, in the Harvard Sports and Entertainment Law Journal uh, that looks at the NCAA's attempt to regulate the agents. 
Uh, and Professor Karcher really looked at the process, and I looked at this under antitrust law. And through two different lenses, we reached the same conclusion. Uh, Professor Karcher thought that what the NCAA was attempting to do added no value, uh, that it was duplicative of what was already being done by the NBPA, uh, that was looked at as a way to create money from the NCAA because uh, it, in essence, required them to pay money and take a course with the NCAA. Uh, it added another beer layer of bureaucracy, and it kept out certain people that should be able to be, and I agree with him overall, 99% of the way. Uh, my piece of it was the antitrust perspective, and it goes even further. Uh, the NCAA, even today, with what it claims are the reforms, does not seem to acknowledge that they're a trade association made up of 1,200 member schools. And when they all reach agreements about who could do certain things or practice their professions, in essence, they're creating concerted refusals to deal with group boycotts. Now, the NCAA's proposal to limit who could serve as a player agent is very different from when the players' union does the same thing. The players' unions do that in sports subject to their rights as unions who have the exclusive rights uh, to negotiate over hours, wages, and working conditions for player contracts. The NCAA is not a union on behalf of its athletes and does not have labor rights specifically over its athletes. So when the NCAA says we are going to limit who can be agents, you have 1,200 separate colleges, which is separate member entities, coming together to reach an agreement to say certain people cannot work with athletes. Now, just to put this in perspective, of how ridiculous this actually is from an antitrust perspective. Now, there are a lot of different programs out there that do, for example, LSAT training for people who are thinking about going to law school. You have Kaplan, you have Princeton, you have private providers. If I told you that 1,200 member colleges came together and reached an agreement not to allow their students to take LSAT courses by a certain LSAT provider, everyone would be jumping off that knows anything about antitrust and says that's a concerted refusal to deal and would compare it directly to the Clause case and compare it directly to Fashion Originators Guild and other cases under antitrust law that say you simply can't do it. This is no different. They are not excluding a particular provider of an SAT or an LSAT program. They're preventing college athletes at any school concertedly from working on licensing with particular people who they don't want the athletes to interact. And even beyond the antitrust perspective, I'll tell you this, they will almost certainly look to deny licenses under their program to those agents who are agitators for greater change, want to tell athletes they have the opportunity to turn pro, and encourage athletes to take more aggressive stance in terms of exerting their rights. So in essence, these athletes, if this program goes into effect, not only is the restraint of trade that prevents certain agents from practicing their profession concertedly, uh, but it also will ensure a system that those who, are those who are representing college athletes are those who are infiltrated with the NCAA and not necessarily taking views the NCAA disagrees with. I didn't even think about the athlete agent issue from an antitrust perspective. That's so interesting. From my perspective, I was wondering what if there's a conflict between what the NCAA de determines is an agent who's unfit to practice and work with a player when that same agent may have been licensed by a state or in, in the same state in which the athlete resides or is performing. I could see a, a, a real big issue there. Um, 
Mark, as always, you and I can talk about pretty much any sports-related issue forever, but certainly this one. Running out of time, I just want to get your quick feedback on one last issue that I found within these 31 pages, which is the NCAA's recommendation that at least it's looked at very closely to possibly prohibit athletes from engaging with shoe and apparel companies and entering into contracts with them just because of the, I guess, recent history of improprieties in that particular industry. Any quick thoughts on that? Yes. Uh, most of the improprieties, to the extent we believe there were improprieties, uh, related to uh, shoe deals and payment of athletes actually involved payments to assistant coaches and some head coaches knew. Uh, yet the NCAA is not seeking to pass anything to prevent head and assistant coaches from signing sneaker deals and making money from companies like Nike and Adidas, which just goes to show you. At the end of the day, even when the NCAA pretends that they're reporting big change, they're trying to carve out all the more valuable categories and trying to do as little as they can. And as you asked before, should the NCAA get an antitrust exemption? Absolutely not. The more benefits we give them under the law, the less they'll look to do to protect the athletes. We, we wouldn't do well on a, talk, on a sports talk show because we seem to be aligned on every issue, at least on this particular subject. So Mark, as always, Great to see you. Great to hear from you. I wish you very well and hope to have you back on the podcast sometime soon. Well, Darren, the podcast has been great. It's my pleasure and I'd love to come back anytime. Well, that wraps up another episode of How to Play the Game. Thanks for listening. As always, you can find us on Apple, on Spotify, on Google. Anywhere else where you get your podcasts, if you're on Apple, please give us five stars, give us a nice review, and share it with other people. Till next time, be safe.